0: And uh, I've introduced myself, myself some already, but my name is Cliff Barbrick, and I teach at Abilene Christian University. I'm stepping into the chair of the Bible department this summer, uh, and it's been a wonderful place for me to work. I've enjoyed, you know, I'll teach classes there. I've been, I'm trained in New Testament, so I'm a little bit outside of my area here, talking about Obadiah and, and Jonah. Uh, but, I, but I've really enjoyed my, my colleagues and, and the students there. Uh, but as I mentioned, Pepperdine is, is home in many ways. I've got a couple degrees from here, and it's always... Fun to come back here and this classroom in particular uh, has a special place in my heart I can remember taking classes in this classroom as a student so since the 90s this space has really not changed much so this <laughs> is new maybe right uh, this, but this room looks very familiar and then when I was uh, a, a PhD student I kind of realized I needed to if I was going to be able to get a job teaching somewhere and make sure that's what I wanted to do I needed to teach a class right not just take classes so I invited myself basically to come back and teach. A summer class here at Pepperdine and this is the room I got and so I was in this room and it was one of these you know two-week compressed courses I feel you know so we were in class basically all day and this is the first time i would ever taught a class and so I can remember at the end of that that week uh, just being exhausted from from the work of preparing and then you know delivering the classes and, and you know working with students with grading assignments and I also remember being completely exhilarated and that's where I kind of had that confirmation of calling for me like I'm, This is what I need to be doing. Right? I'm, I'm in the right place. This is something I can devote my life to doing, and when it gets hard, I'll enjoy the hard work, and it, it'll be life-giving for me. And it, it's really been that way uh, since. And so uh, it's fun to come back here to Pepperdine, but especially if it's even fun for me to come back to this specific classroom. Um, as, as we think about the topic for today, um, I want to say that this grows out of uh, some, some personal wrestling that I have had to do with specifically the book of Obadiah. And this happened when I was a PhD student. My father-in-law who lives in the Fresno area would invite us to come live with them in the summers, which was a beautiful blessing for us as a young family. And I think part of the reason he did it was because he was a preacher in a small church in the area, Oakhurst, California, near near Yosemite, and he liked to have somebody come in and kind of relieve him of some of that burden for a while. So we'd come and stay in, in Fresno for a month, and I would do the preaching at this church, which helped him, and of course it was a huge blessing to me and to our family, his young family, to have that time to be together, but also to have that time to get some experience and some practice, and so, this was the type of setup where, when I was doing that, I'd preach Sunday mornings, and preach Sunday nights, and teach Bible class. Wednesday nights, I think he at least did Bible class in the morning for me, right? So I'm doing all of those, but it was a lot for a young guy to figure out what I was going to talk about uh, the whole time. And so I had this bright idea because I was thinking, I need just some things that will help me find topics. I will talk about the shortest books of the Bible, have one <laughs> class to each of those books, thinking those are the ones that will be overlooked and no one will spend much time on them. You know, so we just did some Philemon, that was nice, and then it was Obadiah, which is just one chapter. Uh, and I remember looking through Obadiah, preparing for that, I think it was probably Sunday night class, if I recall, and thinking, what have I done? <laughs> what am I going to say about this book? All right, go on in, welcome. Yeah, were you old enough to actually preach that? If, well, right, yeah, I mean, I was, what, I was, you know, in my mid 20s, late like 20s at that point. Um, yeah, I mean, I, what am I going to do with this book? Uh, and so, in some ways, this is an outgrowth of some of those initial rests. And one of the things that I noticed as I was trying to figure out what is this even doing in the New Te- or in the Old Testament, what is this doing in the, in the Christian scriptures, this book, I noticed uh, that it is followed immediately by Jonah. And I think that might actually be highly significant. Uh, and so that's part of what I want us to do today is have, have an experience of hearing <coughs> Obadiah and Jonah together. Okay? So uh, I'm gonna quickly outline a couple of assumptions or hunches maybe a better way to put, about, put it that I'm working with as we explore this material today. One is that uh, I'm assuming that the biblical compositions were intended to be heard aloud. And I'm taking this as pretty much a universal assumption for all of the compositions in the Bible, unless I'm open to being convinced otherwise, but there would need to be some some evidence that shows me, no, this was intended to be read silently. And I think that would be extremely rare and maybe non-existent when it comes to biblical compositions, because all of them were composed in cultures and societies that were oral. Uh, literacy rates were low across the board. When people experienced these these things, they experienced them being read aloud or told aloud. I think more often in public communal gatherings. So I'm beginning with that assumption that these that all of the biblical compositions were intended to be heard. So, if you didn't know this was coming, we're going to hear what the dying Jonah today right, as a way to experience those things. Okay? So that, that's an assu- assumption number one. Assumption number two right, is that the Book of the Twelve, which are sometimes referred to as the Minor Prophets, right, this, these twelve prophetic books, uh, were also intended not only to be heard aloud, but maybe also to be heard together. Right? And there's a lot of research done uh, on the Book of the Twelve, I would say in the last 10-15 years especially that is emphasized the, the strong connections, verbal links and, and thematic links that run through all of these minor prophets with Book of the Twelve. And, and that the, the manuscript evidence that we have shows that they were, were together and, 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 and kind of collected into one place very early on and probably circulated that way even before the, the canon of the Old Testament is settled in the way that we have it now. And so my assumption right, that I'm working with based on, on the work of these scholars is that they're intended to be heard together. And so uh, we're going to do that. We're going to hear at least Obadiah and Jonah together. And we can extend that and hear even more uh, of of the book of the 12. And I think that would add even more insight. But we've only got so much time. And so we're going to focus on Obadiah and Jonah in particular. Now, uh, I mentioned my own struggles with with Obadiah or the challenge of Obadiah. And if you haven't read Obadiah recently, you're you're going to hear it, right? So don't worry. You're going to be familiarized with what's there. Uh, But just as as a brief preview, it's like uh, one of the, the precatory psalms or the psalms of cursing. Right? So there are psalms in the book of Psalms where the psalmist is is asking for curses to be brought down on their enemies. God curse these people because they've done bad things. Right? Psalm 137, kind of a psalm of lament, but also a, a psalm of, of cursing is maybe the best example where it ends with the psalmist asking that God take the babies of the Babylonians and dash their heads against the rocks. And then it just ends. There's no stepping back from that pretty radical request of God. And so Obadiah, as a book, is is a a call for God to curse, and specifically to curse Edom. And so I'll give you a little kind of quick background here about why uh, we might be wanting to curse Edom. Right, and then I also want us to reflect some on maybe um, enemies ourselves right that maybe have led us to want to call down God's curses right but, but the, the basic story that lies behind uh, the, the prophecy from Obadiah is that when uh, the Babylonians came in and conquered uh, Jerusalem right and Judah, Edom was kind of a, 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 a related nation that did not come to their aid but instead, helped the Babylonians defeat Judah. And this is especially painful because Judah and Edom trace their lineage back to Jacob and Esau. These These are the peoples of brothers. And so in Judah's time of need, who do they expect might come to their aid, even if they've been fighting, right? Siblings fight, but when push comes to shove, you've got each other's back. And so when uh, Judah is, is getting ready to fall and be destroyed and humiliated and devastated by Babylon, they expect, well, maybe now at least, right, Edom would come and help. No, no. And so this is a, a, a prophecy that grows out of that, that pain, that wound. Right? And so that, that's the, the brief background here of what's going on with, with Obadiah in that particular book. Okay. Now, uh, Jonah, even though it comes after Obadiah, is is describing kind of an earlier stage, maybe in Israel's history, because now it's the Assyrians that are in view as as the bad guys, not necessarily the Babylonians, right? The Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom of Israel before the Babylonians conquered the southern kingdom of Judah. So we're kind of bouncing around when it comes to time. So so all that to say, Obadiah and Jonah do not appear in the sequence they do because it's chronologically arranged. Obadiah is actually describing a later period Uh, Jonah is described in an earlier period in Israel's history where it's a different foe, a different enemy that they're concerned about. So, again, if it's not chronological arrangement that has led to the Obadiah Jonah sequence in that order, uh, then I think it's worth asking all right, what what other reasons might these books appear in this order? That's what I'm hoping we can explain or explore some today when we hear them. So, that's some of the setup there. But again, I think for this to really. Really hit home. I think it's helpful for us maybe to, to call to our own minds uh, specific, concrete examples of those that we might label as enemies for ourselves. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to pass out some paper here. Don't write on it. Okay. I'll, give, I'll give everybody a few sheets, and I've got plenty. We've got more enemies. Okay, so don't don't uh, don't write anything on it because I don't want to know who your enemies are, and I want you to be honest. About the specific, concrete individuals or groups of people that you may feel are enemies of yours, or maybe more broadly, enemies of God's people at the present time. Okay, so I want you—I want to give you some time here, right? and if you just raise your hand, I'll bring you some more paper if you got some more enemies. Okay? But I want you to—I want you to think about these. I want you to identify concrete people, right? A concrete group, specifics. So you kind of assign one to each piece of paper, one one enemy, one group for each piece of paper, while we'll do this, I'm going to play the song that we already got a preview from, uh, a song from Porter's Gate, it's a song uh, that is a song of lament, kind of asking uh, Jesus to wake up and do something about what we're experiencing, alright, so that's going to be playing in the background, alright, come on in, you're here just in time for an important, pop quiz, no, yeah, pop <laughs> okay. quiz, thank you, no, worse, worse. <laughs> right? uh, don't write anything on the paper, okay? You're not supposed to write anything. Uh, I want the papers blank, okay? But I want you to. You're welcome You know, you can use this if you want for notes, but don't, don't uh, do something different with that piece of paper, okay? Um, so you're thinking about enemies, right? Specific, conflict, individual people that you would identify as enemies. We'll play the song while you have a chance to think about that. And so again, just identify somebody specific with each piece of paper. After the song is over, I'll tell you what to do with that blank paper that you have. So let's listen. My bad. Went off without a pen. You don't need a pen. That's the point. It yeah, does. it's supposed to be blank. Don't, don't write anything on them. Don't write anything on them. Just in
1: your imagination,
0: you're, you're connecting uh, an enemy with each piece of paper that you need. Because okay? I don't want you to write it. I don't want to do this. Right? That's too private. I just want you to be thinking of somebody concrete. I want you to have that in the mix. I think we need to have that, right? Because Edom was a very concrete enemy. Somebody who had wounded uh, those who were hearing this prophecy deeply. And I think it's helpful if we also call to mind some, of the, some similar enemies, some similar wounds we might have received. right? But uh, again, I don't need you to write that down. I just, just want you to make the concrete connection for yourself. Right, so we'll listen to this song, beautiful song. What do you think about that? <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. Jesus.
0: So hopefully you've got some specific enemies in mind. Uh, maybe have assigned sign them to certain sheets of paper. What I want you to do now is I want you to take that sheet of paper, as many sheets of paper as you need to represent your enemies. I want you to take this piece of paper, i crumple it up like this, and I want you to throw it over in this general direction. All right, so, of them. there you go. If you don't take care, I'll, I'll get them there eventually. Take you to warmly good. All right. <laughs> warmly yeah, good. Get that one over here. Good. Yeah, that's right. So we got our pile of enemies over here. Yeah, we need these today. Keep them in the same general area. All right, so, yeah, I think it's helpful for us to have in mind those, those concrete enemies, right, because of what were the topics we're going to be talking about here. If you think of more, feel free to th- toss them up here, right, and as we... As we here <laughs> Obadiah and Jonah so I'm going to tell it to you from from memory which take a little bit of time right? but I think it's, it's, it's easier for us to, to hear a long passage of scripture if it's told to us rather than if it's if it's being read so what I'd ask you at this point is you don't need to have your Bibles open I encourage you to take a look at Obadiah and Jonah later at least for now let me tell you the stories. All right, and then we can open up our Bibles and unpack it and talk about some once we're done. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord the God concerning Edom. We've heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against it for battle. I will surely make you least among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. You who, who dwell in the heights, who, who live in the clefts of the rock, your proud heart has deceived you. Oh, you say in your heart, who can bring me down to the ground? Oh, but even if you soar aloft like the eagle, or your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down says the Lord. If if thieves came to you, Mm -hmm. if plunderers by night, oh, how you have been destroyed. But will they not steal only what they wanted? Or if great gatherers came to you, will they not leave leanings? How Esau has been pillaged. All his treasures searched out. All your allies have deceived you. They have driven you to the border. Your confederates have prevailed against you. And those who ate your bread have set a trap for you. There is no understanding. it. On that day, says the Lord, I'll destroy the wise out of Edom and wisdom out of Mount Esau. Your soldiers, Otamon, will be shattered. And those from Mount Esau will be be cut off forever. For the the violence, the the slaughter done to to your brother, Jacob, shame will cover you. And you should be cut off forever. On that day that you stood aside, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were like one of them. You should not have gloated over your brother on the day of his distress. You should not have rejoiced over Judah's destruction on the day of their ruin. You should not have boasted on the day of distress. You should not have entered the gates of my people on the day of their calamity. You should not have joined in the gloating over Judah's disaster on the day of his calamity. You should not have looted his goods on the day of his calamity you should not have stood at the crossing and cut off his fugitives. He should not have handed over the survivors on the day of distress. But the day of the Lord is coming against all the nations. And as you have done, it shall be done to you. All your deeds shall come back For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, all the nations around you should drink. They shall drink and go down, and it shall be as though they would never been. But on Mount Zion there will be those that survive and escape, and it shall be holy. And a house of Jacob shall take possession of those who have dispossessed them. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire. The house of Joseph a flame. And the house of Esau, stubble. They shall burn them and consume them. And there will be no survivor of the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. Then those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau. And those of the Shephelah, the land of the Philistines, they shall possess the land of Ephraim, And the land of Samaria and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of Israel, who are in Halah, shall possess Phoenicia as far as Zaraphat. And the exiles of Jerusalem, who are in Safarab, shall possess the towns of the Negev. And those who have been saved will go up on Mount Zion to rule over. Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah son of Amittai saying get up and go to Nineveh that great city and cry out against it for their wickedness has come up before me Jonah set out to flee to, to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and so he went down to Joppa and found a ship there Going to Tarshish. And he paid his fare and went on board to go with them, to, to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent a, a mighty wind upon the sea and, and, and made such a great storm come upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. And then the soldiers, or the sailors, rather, were afraid, and each cried to his own God, Baal, Asherah, Kos. And then they took the cargo that was in the ship and threw it into the sea, the lightning. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and fallen asleep. Well, the captain of the ship came to Jonah and said, Get up! What, what are you doing sound asleep? Call on your God. Perhaps your God may hear us so that we do not perish. And then the sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. And so they cast lots and the lot fell. I'm Jonah. And so they said to him, to tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? Of what country are you? Who are your people? And he replied, I, I am a Hebrew, and I worship Adonai, the God of heaven, who made the seas and the dry land. But then, they were even more afraid. And they asked, is this that you have done? Then they said to him, tell us what we should do so that the seas may quiet down for us. For the seas were growing more and more tempestuous. And he replied, pick me up and throw throw me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for for I know that it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to try to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, because the sea grew more and more stormy against them. And so then they cried out to Adonai, please, O Adonai, we, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood for you, O Adonai, have done as it pleased you. And then they picked Jonah up, and they threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its rage. Then they feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to Adonai and made vows. But the Lord caused a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. From the belly of Sheol I I cried out, and you heard my voice. But but you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your, your billows, they crashed over me, and then I said, I have been driven Away from your side, How will I look again on your holy temple? The waters closed in above me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains, and I went down the ground whose bars closed upon me and Yet, you brought up my life from the pit. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. All those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty, but I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I vow, I will pay. Deliverance belongs to Adonai. Then the Lord spoke to the fish. And the fish vomited Jonah out onto dry land. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. And so Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three-days walk across. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And then he cried out, 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people believed God. And they proclaimed a fast, and, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. Now, when the king of Nineveh heard this news, he rose from his throne and removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth. Sat in ashes, and yet a proclamation made throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles: No human or animal, no herd or flock, shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Humans and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All should turn away from their evil ways, from from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn away from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. And when God saw what the people did, how they turned away from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring him. And he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I fled to Tarshish in the beginning, because I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from punishment. And so now, O oh Lord, I pray, please take my life. It's better for me to die than to live. The Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out east of the city and sat down there and built a booth for himself and sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. And the Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. And so Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, so that he became faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, Is is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he answered, Yes! Yes, it's right for me to be angry, angry enough to die! And the Lord said, You are concerned about the bush, for which you did not labor, which you did not grow. It came into being in a night, and it perished in a night. But about... Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who admittedly do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals. Should I not be concerned about them? But I say to you who are listening, Love your enemies, be good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, if anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who asks of you. If anyone takes away what is yours, do not ask for it back again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. For if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. Or if you lend, to others expecting to receive payment. What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to receive back again. No, instead, love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing to return. Your reward will be great. You children of the Most High, for he himself. Is kind to the wicked and the ungrateful. Be merciful. Just as your heavenly Father is merciful. Alright, so there's Obadiah, Jonah. A little bit of Luke, right, at the end there. Um, So we've got some time here, and of course I've got some thoughts, but I'm curious um, what you noticed about Obadiah, Jonah, and the connections between these. Particular stories. What are your thoughts after after hearing them? i like <clears> to <throat> Jonah, you know, when of course when I don't like I don't like my enemy. I want
1: something. I want them to be punished. Mm-hmm. And I would be embarrassed if I declare to the people that you know this calamities will come to you yeah. because of your
0: Disobedience to
1: God, and then you know it, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So I said, "Why did you do this to me? Shouldn't yeah. have
0: announced anything to change your mind?" Yeah. But I'll be just like Jonah. I need to be, you know, I need to have my eyes open and be reminded. Kind of find yourself identifying with Jonah a little yes. bit. I think that I think Jonah's meant to invite us to identify with him. At the same time, we maybe laugh at him, right? Yes. Which maybe helps us. Yeah. Laugh at ourselves a little bit. And some of the things, the inconsistent things that we think and want.
1: There's uh, a lot of Jonah in us. Yeah. And Obadiah.
0: And, yeah, and maybe Obadiah too. Yeah. All right. Other thoughts. What do you? What'd you notice about those or connections between those books? Is that telling you
1: that Jonah kind of helps you rethink Obadiah uh, in that? Okay, if this is God's attitude toward the outsiders to uh yes. then maybe I should reevaluate my attitude toward brothers, uh, those who I consider brother, Um, the ones that brothers become enemies, maybe I have to rethink my response to them as well.
0: Yeah, I think there is some of that, right? If Obadiah is giving vent to that that pain, that woundedness, right, and that leads to a desire for enemy, that the one who's wounded isn't hurt, is for them to get their comeuppance, right? And it's kind of a venting of those emotions, then Maybe it's important that that's followed by Jonah, that, that problematizes those in some ways, uh, and and maybe leads us to think again about our enemy and how we how we estimate their and and how we estimate their relationship to God. Other thoughts or things you noticed? Well, the story again reminds us that we're very anxious for others to be judged. We're good with that. Yeah. Just not me, Lord. I mean. Sure. Right. Go get them, God. Yeah. Yeah, of course that's the comical part of Jonah, right? right. Uh, that right. he receives this this uh, this grace. He he's a recipient of the steadfast love of God and then begrudges that being <clears throat> offered to someone else. Right? And and I think um, part part of what also I think hearing Obadiah and Jonah together helps to drive home for me, is that yeah, in some ways I think I think Jonah said that we're meant to kind of laugh at Jonah at the same time that we're, we're connecting with him. But also that the pain of Obadiah drives home um, just, just how real that hurt and that, that hate for an enemy might be. And sometimes I think in, in, sometimes in our culture when we think about judging people, we're not thinking about the kind of pain out of which the, the language of Obadiah comes from. And when love is extended to our enemies, it's not just people that we don't like or we think are weird, right? It's, it's people that we might be drawn to say the kinds of things that are in Obadiah, say those kinds of things about them. And those are the ones right, that God relents and changes his mind about Which really brings up questions for us about the justice. And I think that's, that's part of what, what things these two books
1: together are wrestling with. Were you going to say something? Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, the way I think about the, uh, the story of Jonah, it reminds me about the children's book about the runaway body. Okay. I don't know if you have read about that, that uh, the is trying to run away from the mother, but mm-hmm. in spite of that, the, the mother loves that bunny, that she will be there with that bunny. Yeah. But anyway, um, I think there is no question that uh, Jonah must read about or know about the story of um, Noah and his family. And uh, that's where I'm coming from. Maybe in the, in the mind of Jonah, I mean, in the mind of, uh, yes, Jonah, he was thinking, can you save something that is rotten? Rotten to the core? Why save these people? That's why God, I'm running away from you, because I know that you're a merciful God. But in that time of Noah, God sent the flood because everything is evil. There's nothing good. As I mentioned, you know, I experienced trying to save a rotten tomato. No matter how I slice it, it's rotten, it smells, there's a worm inside of that tomato. So I cannot save it. And that's where I'm coming from in in the place of uh, I'm not in the place of God but God already sent the flood and but he found uh someone righteous that is Noah at that time and they built the, the ark. But anyway, going back to Obadiah and Jonah, Jonah is really mad. Yes he is. He is mad, he's angry angry enough to die. He's yes, angry. yes, absolutely. Because he is they were fallen to the hands of the Assyrians, which live now in Nineveh. They are brutal, they're evil people. And it's etched in the mind of Jonah that they deserve to be punished. And that's why Jonah ran away from God, because as I said in chapter two of Jonah, as you said, you just recited, the love of God is steadfast, loving kindness, Um, uh, faithful love you know but what happened while you were telling the story of Jonah that's what for me the way uh, the king and his people repented feel sorry about themselves because they could smell Jonah can you believe that being in the belly of the fish for three days yeah you smell so bad. You're like a dead man. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. telling telling them, and they could smell him. And they could see him. And that's why they repented. That's how I, I look at the story of Jonah. Because they repented because they could smell him. He smelled so bad. You know, mile away, they could smell him. And, yeah, I, th- I think there is some... And, um, and, and, and so when you mention about the worm eating the bush or the tree, Yeah. God is trying to say something to uh, Jonah, but Jonah doesn't, doesn't forget what the Syrian did to his people. Sure. That's why he's so mad. Take my life right now. Yeah. He is so open. He's so honest to God. That's what I like about Jonah. And I think that's why it's, that. it's
0: helpful for it to follow, as I mentioned, after Obadiah. Right? If Obadiah is the expression because we don't get Jonah expressing why he's so mad at Nineveh. Obadiah, even though it's not directed at Nineveh, gives an expression of that pain, right? That then maybe it helps us understand Jonah. So, if I think about connections, I'll kind of wrap things up here because so I know we're, we're out, out of time. If we think about connections, I think one of the ways that Obadiah helps with Jonah is it helps give us an expression of that deep pain and woundedness, the evil of the people that, that Jonah is expected to go and preach to. And so then if we're reminded of that with Obadiah, then that provides some important context for Jonah. But of course, it's really essential, as we already mentioned, I think that Jonah follows that expression of, of pain and woundedness that we get in Obadiah.
1: Um,
0: because it, it provides uh, some sort of response, some sort of continuance of that story. So part of as I worked with these two stories, is kind of a, I'll leave you with this image. I, I spent some time reflecting on the bush at the end. That's an odd part of, I mean, Jonah's kind of an odd and funny story anyway, but a really odd episode at the end, that God appoints this bush to give some shade for Jonah, and then no sooner has he appointed than he takes it away, all right? And, and in some ways, maybe that highlights Jonah's fickleness, right? That he can move from being happy to being angry so quickly. But I wonder if there's something more there, and especially after I'm hearing Obadiah and Jonah together, right? Because God is the one who gives that bush and also takes that bush away. And I wonder if the expression of pain and the cry for justice And the expectation of justice that gets voiced in Obadiah is not a good and right response to evil and injustice and oppression when when we experience it. That is in some way a gift from God for a community to be able to express that kind of pain and anger and frustration at injustice. That is how we should feel about oppression and injustice when we encounter it. And if we don't, there might be something wrong but it's also not the end. Right, so I see the bush as Obadiah. The book of Obadiah. It is something that is given from God, the community needs. We need to say those words. We need to express that level of anger at injustice. That that should be part of our paradigm. That should be part of of our our life together as a community. But it doesn't stop there. There There is this next step that is expected of us to grow into, uh, and when God says it's time to move into that next step, when it's time maybe to move away from or let go of some of the anger that is justified, we're, we're not going to let it go. Just as Jonah was not wanting that bush to be taken from him. Right? And yet the thing that God has given, he also will take away to push us to kind of take the next step uh, into, into growth in terms of uh, into seeing and wanting what God wants. Which is, in the end, miraculously the redemption of all. And I'm glad that I'm glad that the, the Jonah story got brought up last night, because we do get the Hesed word in here, as you can as you mentioned. What didn't get mentioned last night is that what with the bitterness of Jonah is that the Hesed doesn't only extend to us, since we're enemies as well. And that can be a kind of bitterness that we have to wrestle with. Right? And I think Obadiah and Jonah together help us wrestle, maybe, with some of that all right. I've already got a little bit long. I think there's some people that are wanting to come in. Thank you so much for coming this morning and reading about Jonah and Obadiah. Uh, tomorrow morning, they do. They will join us in the same place, same time, and we'll learn a story together. All right? So you can tell.